It's not always the big things that change the world. It's the small acts of kindness that happen repeatedly over a lifetime that make the world a better place. So every week we share a story of someone like you who is doing good in the world in their own way. Welcome to Doing Good with Carmen Herbert. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Doing Good. I am your host, Carmen Herbert, and today I have a very special guest, Tom Christofferson, as you may know he is the brother of elder Todd Christofferson, and he is going to be talking with us. Todd, or Tom, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. <laughs> Happy to be with you. Thanks. Your, your mom named you guys so similar, just like I did with, I named all my boys B names, Boston Beckham Briggs Benson, and I'm always, Beck, Benz, Boss, I'm always messing them up. So <laughs> was your mom ever like, Tom, Todd, Tom, yeah. same thing. So we're we're not all T's actually. Elder Christofferson's first name is David, but um, so it's David Todd Greg Tim Wade Tom. So there are a couple T's. Oh, in there. so so when did he start going by Todd? Actually, so his uh, David is is I guess in memory of our dad's brother who was killed in World War II, who passed away oh. while mom was pregnant with Todd. And, oh. Um, so they the the intent was always to call him Todd, but they I guess they decided David Todd sounded better than Todd David. Than Todd David. Oh, yeah. wow! And what was what did your mom's brother do? What how, what what did he serve in? Oh, it was dad's brother, but um, dad's brother. He was a tail gunner in the Pacific. Oh my goodness! I was just listening to a book about World War II, and it's pretty incredible what the men and women went through and, yeah. you know, and, and what families, I just can't imagine knowing, sending their kids off, knowing that they might not come back. Right. It is extraordinary to think of how, um, how the whole country was essentially involved in that really yeah. almost, you know, no family was untouched. No. And, um, they, his uh, plane went down and I'm trying to remember if it was lack of fuel or something. And, the when it hit the water, the front end, rear of the plane broke off and everybody who was in the front survived and uh, he in the rear did not. But oh. the, but my grandparents said that uh, many of the men from his plane came to visit them and how much they appreciated that contact and knew I'm that sure. he had been loved by the people he served with. Yes. Oh my goodness. It's funny that sometimes I'm sure you've heard people say, Oh, things are so much harder now than they were like, Oh, the trials we're going through now. Yeah. And I think about like people that lived during world war two and, and, yeah. and, and the Holocaust and the pioneers. And I think, I don't know. I don't know about that. There's different challenges for sure. Everyone faces yeah. different things, but the strength of those men, we went to Hawaii a few months ago with my boys and we decided to take them to the Pearl Harbor museum thinking they'd be bored yeah. out of their minds, but it was important. And they, were fascinated. They loved the submarine. They loved learning about. It. I was shocked at how history really comes alive for all ages and how important yes. it is to learn about. So that's such a sweet and, and and sad story, but what a sweet legacy that that your brother gets to carry on his his family name. That's so yeah. sweet. Okay, so Tom, let's read your bio. I'm sure this is your very favorite part of every interview. <laughs> <laughs> let's just get through it quickly. It'll be fine. I, oh, I know. I'm always like, oh, I hate it when people read my bios. But I love to learn about other people and to introduce you and give you all the praise and credit that you deserve. <laughs> so you are the author of A Better Heart, The Impact of Christ's Pure Love and 
That We May Be One, A Gay Mormon's Perspective on Faith and Family, which are both published by Desert Book, and you can get them in Desert Bookstores. Your career in investment management and asset servicing allowed you to live and work in the U.S. and Europe, as well as significant time in Asia. Which country in Asia? Mostly Australia, but a fair bit of time in Singapore and Hong Kong as well. Oh, my goodness. I have never been to Asia. I would love, my husband has. He's been to Japan and Shanghai and Beijing, and I would love to do that someday, travel there. And now you are the Temple, and tell me again what it is. Temple and Family History Coordinator. And Family History Coordinator. (laughs) (laughs) The long title. That is amazing. In your ward in Phoenix, Arizona, which is super hot this time of year. It is. And some fun facts. You've lived at various times in Luxembourg and London, Sydney, as you were just saying. You began your career in LA, uh, also a number of years in San Francisco, but and also New York City. So you've traveled yeah. the world. You've, you've seen lots of people, lots of cultures. Do you feel like that has helped you develop a love and appreciation for all different types of people around the world? And, you know, especially the opportunity to, to work in another place, another country, so that you're there every day um, has, is a really wonderful experience. I think because it allows you to to see your culture yes. in a different light and to recognize that things that we just think are uh, axiomatic or true for everyone everywhere yes. are not. And yes. so it's like, okay, I, I need to be able to understand that other people work in a different frame. Yes. And, and, and then being aware of it, you know, you can... I think be both more sympathetic and more cautious about the assumptions we make about other people. I love that. That's so true. So tell us a little bit about your childhood. Where did you grow up? You have, you mentioned you have a big family, lots of brothers. Did you mention any sisters or all boys? All boys. There are five of us. Elder Christopherson's the oldest. I'm the youngest. Okay. And you have one up on me. I have four boys. And so that your mom, bless her. I know. <laughs> Everyone keeps asking. They're like, aren't you going to try for a girl? And we say, we tried four times. And four <laughs> so what was that? I can imagine because what it was like, I'm, I'm guessing pretty loud and, and pretty fun and energetic and crazy in your household. Uh, uh, we always say that we were perfect children who um, you know, <laughs> came home from school, immediately did our homework and then quietly yep. read books afterwards. Of course. (laughs) So so being the youngest, did you feel like you got away with more? Like, do you feel like your parents were a little more lenient? No. (laughs) My brothers think that. And I always say that, no, you wore them out. So they were too tired by the time they got to me. It's your fault. They were too tired. (laughs) That's so funny. So tell me, tell me, where did you guys grow up? So I was born in Utah. We lived in Utah County and uh, our father was a veterinarian. So for the early part of his career, he uh, was a large animal veterinarian, then uh, served as the Utah State veterinarian for a time. And then wow. when I was three, he accepted a position with Squibb in New Jersey. Oh, wow. So he, the, most of the rest of his career, he did uh, pharmaceutical research and development for veterinary products. And we, we moved to uh, New Jersey when I was three, and then the suburb of Chicago when I was nine. And then... Um, then when I started high school, so my next older brother had just graduated as I was beginning high school, and dad decided that he wanted to go back into large animal practice for a while, so we moved to Delta, Utah. Oh, my goodness. Which from from Chicago was a bit of a culture oh, shock. A huge, especially the teenager, <laughs> for sure. But I, I loved it. It was such a great, 
it was it was a bad decision business wise for my dad because his uh, he had to have hip replacement and physically just wasn't a job he could do anymore. But yeah. it was it was such a great decision for me. It gave me a great uh, circle of friends I've had the rest of my life and and an experience of uh, you know being in a small town a small high school that was really wonderful at that point in my life. So do you because you've traveled all over the world and lived in busy places again, like Luxembourg and New York City. And do you prefer the smaller, quiet, easy paced life? Or do you like the fast paced excitement of the city? <laughs> uh, both, I guess. But I, you know, I guess what I love about the city is diversity. Yeah. Right. Uh, and, and in the sense of just the different people you connect with, but also uh, cultures and food and everything, you know, the cultural offerings that are available in a city. Yes. But I definitely also like some downtime, some quiet time. In Delta, was it the type of town that everyone knows everyone, everyone's in each other's business? You all, you know, was it that kind of like that camaraderie of we're all in this together? Like we all love each other. We all look out for each other. I felt like that. And I, you know, you have to remember I came to it as a 14 year old. So, yeah, you know, I probably don't, I'm not the best person to talk about a deep experience there. But to me, it was a community of people who did know each other and were supportive of each other and allowed a lot of opportunity for people to grow. Yes. You know, they didn't require that everybody stay the same. That was my experience, at least. So when you were growing up, were you all members of the church? Mm -hmm. And when did your path sort of you know, when did you start to decide, hmm, I wonder if this is actually something I want to be a part of? When did right. you sort of make the split? Well, it starts, you know, I, I said somewhere around age five, I've kind of had an idea that something was different between me and my brothers, and I didn't know what it was. And then in those horrible junior high school years, I finally had a name to put to it as others helped me find that name. And so, you know, so from like 12 on, I definitely knew that I was gay. And and to me at that time, it seemed like, you know, this was a real impediment to anything that, that I thought was going to be a happy life. Not least of which I, I felt like it made me an enemy of God, right? That somehow this was something that just was um, not acceptable to God. And so, you know, I, in in my own heart, you know, I'm constantly praying and fasting and pleading that the Lord will change me. And um and, I, and as I went on my mission, you know, my thought was, well, if I'd really work hard on a mission, the Lord will change me. That will be my blessing or reward. Yes. And, I, you know, as I think about it now, it's, it's, it's somehow I had this idea that I could manipulate God by my obedience, right? right? I could force him to do what I wanted him to do when I wanted him to do it because I was obedient. And because which, you felt that's who he wanted you to be. Right. Um, which is such a, that's, that's such a great insight because that's the point of so many things, right? That, um, you know, the, the real effort ought to be to discover what it is that God wants, as opposed to telling God what he wants and then right. being mad that he hasn't done it. You know? <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, but hey, so, so went on that path, you know, went to BYU after kind of a brief marriage uh, in the temple and then that's when I finally came to the point where I felt like you know, I've, I've been trying to do all the things I think I can do to be a good boy, you know, and uh, and it's just not working. And not only is it not making me happy, it's been a source of unhappiness for others. Yes. Um, and so I just felt like, okay, I've, I've gone as far as I can go and I need to figure out what it means to be gay and see if I can be happy. 
Yeah. So I asked, I asked to be excommunicated and I was, I think 25, if I remember correctly. That must've been a really hard decision. You know, I think the hardest part of it was, it wasn't that I didn't believe in Christ or it wasn't yeah. that I didn't have a witness about the Book of Mormon as, yeah. as a second witness of Christ. It was that I just couldn't figure out how to be me in that context. Sure. And I knew that that was going to be really, really tough for my parents. And so in a sense, I, I was doing what I thought was going to be best for me, but I recognized the pain and cost that would have for those who love me. And so that's what made it a very difficult decision. But, but I, um, and for a couple of years, it was really hard for us as a family to find ways to stay in communication with each other without being defensive. Um, you know, that mom and dad could talk about things that were meaningful to them, which of course would include something that they learned at church or, you know, feelings about it Yeah. without me feeling like, oh, that's really a coded message to say that, you know, I'm screwing up. Right. Or, or for me to talk about the things that were really wonderful in my life without them feeling like I'm saying, oh, you're wrong. Right. And so, you know, it took a while, but we did, we did finally get to a point through a determined effort, you know, to stay engaged. And I think... I know that that my parents in their constant prayers about their stewardship for their family, we really received revelation that essentially was put no barriers to love and unity yeah. in the family. And so we, and that really was our kind of engagement model from then on was that anything that the family did, my, the, when we finally connected my partner and I uh, were included and that, uh, that it was, the, I, I felt like, and I've said this in other places, I felt like, the way my parents defined their success as parents was not that all five boys had gone on missions or all five boys had been married in the temple or all five were active in the church. It was that we were united in love and loyalty. Yes. And if they could feel that, if they could, if we could be together and laugh and enjoy each other and, you know, and genuinely be engaged in each other's lives, then that was success for parents. How did they do that? How, how did they, you know, accept and, and love you and, and your your lifestyle that looked different from how they may have thought was the best way to raise you or, you right, know, right. how you turned out. How did they say, okay, enough of this is right and wrong. We are going to love and accept. How did they do that and create that beautiful bond that you all have? You know, my sense is that they were willing to live in ambiguity right? That they could hold two things as true that they couldn't reconcile. Yes. And so they absolutely believed in the gospel of Jesus Christ and eternal families and all yes. of the things that we talk about. Yes. And they believed that, uh, that their love for their child was um, essential um, to their understanding of eternity and their understanding of their role in this life. Right. And so we talked about it uh, at various points of you know, what happens from here? How do you, how do you understand it? What do you pray about? How do you feel about it? And, you know, really came to the conclusion that, that the only thing that we could do is leave the answers we did not have in the hands of the Lord and trust in his perfection and mercy and love and, um, and his knowledge of the desires of our hearts, right? That, um, that, that could all be left in his hands and we could do the best we could to, uh, to follow you know, what we, we know to be right, do the very best we can each day. And I, I, I love what um, President Eyring said in conference now a couple of years ago. 
when he said he had spoken to an unnamed apostle about the extended family, his own family, and wondering whether, you know, the circumstances of each life was going to yield uh, being together in the celestial world. And, um, and he says that that apostle said to him, you're worried about the wrong thing. You know, just live the best you can to qualify for a celestial life and trust that the family arrangements will be better than you can possibly imagine. And I, to me, that's such a profound truth that, that really what we can do is do our very best to live according to the light that we've received. Yes. And e each day strive to do that more clearly and more perfectly in the sense of our love for the Savior and our Heavenly Parents can be a source of um, help, of uh, sustaining, of uh, assistance to those around us. Yes. And so as we as we grow in our love for our, our Heavenly Parents and Savior, that love can then also be shared yes. with, with the people around us. And so you know, that's that's enough. Yes, and it is enough. And and that's hard to trust sometimes that the more we love and trust our Father in Heaven and our Savior, the more love we are capable of giving and receiving to those around us. Right. And and it, it's it's hard sometimes to 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 trust and to say I don't understand everything. I don't know why things are the way they are, why people are the way they are. But I love you, and I know you love me. And right. and and I prayed sometimes. I said I. Help me feel thy love for this person. Like if is even like an unruly child that I'm really struggling with that day. I'm like, I love my child, but I'm not feeling very loving toward him today. Right. Please help me feel thy love for him. And every time, because I his love is sufficient yes. for all of us and for each other. So I want to know, Tom, during this time when you had left the church and you said you were living with a partner. Were you still praying and reading the scriptures and doing those things from your childhood, or had you kind of taken a step back from everything? What was your relationship like with the Savior? Yeah. I, those are two different questions, by the way, because I I felt like I always had a relationship with Christ. That okay, um, but there was definitely a period, especially in the early days, when when I felt like I was. Um, not how do I say this? Like I, that, I was kind of trying to figure it out on my own much more than really relying on him with the church. And, so with and Jesus. So trying to figure out life, I guess I'd say you know. So I wasn't okay. doing daily scripture study. I wasn't you know uh, consistent in prayers. But I the it was always easy for me to prayer to offer a prayer of thanksgiving uh, to and it you know I always there were so many moments when I just. Uh, just thank you, you know, and and so in that sense, I I felt like I always prayed, but I wasn't consistent about getting down on my knees and and yeah. uh, being uh, more than just how grateful I was for the the incredible uh, life I've been given. Did you notice a difference in your life? That did you feel like anything was missing, or was it kind of a a journey of self-discovery and, you know, mm -hmm. what, what was it like now having experienced both being active in the right. church, not being in the church and now being very active and back in the church. Right. Did you notice a difference? You know, I, what happened was um, after my partner and I'd been together probably, I don't know, a dozen years or so. That's I, a long I, time. Yeah. We, I felt like 
we'd had this just really wonderful life, you know, that I'd had career opportunities. Uh, my partner had decided to do a mid-career change from hospital administration to going to med school and, and had, was going through that process that, you know, we were able to travel and enjoy just so many wonderful things of life and had wonderful friends and family that loved us and included us. So it was like, everything's great. And yet I just felt like there was something was missing, which to me felt like a deeper purpose of life, that it wasn't just to have a wonderful life and enjoy it and do the things that we could do, but, right. but really that, that what mattered was who we become. And, you know, was I, I, I don't think that we can, well, let me make it about me. I don't, I didn't feel that I could become the person who would be most useful to the Lord without really putting some focus on my spiritual life. And over time in our time together, we'd gone to a number of different churches and, and there were wonderful, amazing people and really wonderful things those churches did, but it didn't, sure. some of the theology just never quite resonated with me in the same way that, that what I had grown up with does. Yeah. And so, you know, at that point I just thought, well, I think I'll just start attending sacrament meeting and see if that feels like something that would be useful to me. And we had recently moved to uh, this uh, town in Southern Connecticut, New Canaan that had a ward. And I, as we were looking at homes, we'd driven by the chapel so many times, so I knew exactly where it was. And, um, and so I started to attend and I would try and get there after the meeting had already started and sit in the very back and get yeah. out as soon as it was over. So I didn't Nobody have to talk to, to anyone. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> and, um, and it, it, but the, but what happened in that intervening hour was that I, you know, felt that spirit that I really wanted to feel and, and had a sense that this was a group of people who wanted to know Christ and to follow him. And so it was both that sense of uh, an individual spiritual communion and a sense that there is a, a unity of purpose with this group of people. And so both of those were desirable to me. And at a, after, you know, sneaking into church for a few weeks, I finally asked if I could meet the bishop. And he invited me to his home and and I said, look, here's the scoop. You know, my, my partner and I have been together now 12 years. We would eventually be together for 19. And I'm not coming to you to say I want to be a member of the church. What I'm saying is I've attended your ward and felt things I'd like to continue to feel. But now that you know who I am, am I welcome to be there? And his Aww. absolutely instant answer was, yes, please come and bring your partner with you. We'd like to get to know both of you. And his, as wow. we continue, continue to talk, he said, you know, our, he was, had been relatively recently called to be the bishop. And he said, my great desire for the ward is that we learn to be better, more consistent uh, disciples of Jesus Christ. And, and you will bring a perspective that's helpful to us. And we have perspectives that will be useful to you. So come and be with us. And it was such a, it was just so perfect. And I, and I always want to be aware of how blessed I have been in my life that everybody doesn't have as many uh, lucky breaks or, you know, yeah. the right church leader hasn't always been placed in front of them in the way yeah. that, that I have so been blessed and, and a family might not be as loving and engaging as, as mine has been. Yes. So with those uh, great blessings, you know, I have, I have been able to make a journey that's that is probably much easier than many or most. 
Right. And so you said that it would have, it, it will go on to have been 19 years. And so right. you obviously attended church for several years, still mm-hmm. being with your partner. And did he right. come with you to church? He did occasionally. It's, occasionally. Um, but the, as a, as the bishop once said, we were talking about it, said, you know, whenever my partner would come, a ward that always started late anyway would start even later because everybody made a beeline over to say hello to him. Oh, and he's just, he's, he is a really, really wonderful person and, and engaging. And, and so in the sense that, you know, this is people felt like this is somebody they wanted to know, but they were also, they were genuine in their desire. It wasn't, we, we want to get to know you to convert you. Right. It was, you are a really interesting person and and a really lovely one. And yeah, and we want you in our lives. And so yeah. it was tough. You know, Prop 8 happened about a year after I had started going to church. Oh. And and when that happened, my partner felt like um, that members of the church are really lovely, friendly, well-mannered people. But in their heart of hearts, they don't accept us. And so for him, that really closed the door permanently oh. on any desire to to engage. But he was always willing to support me. And so there were times when I would say, please come with me. You know, my friend's son is going on a mission. And so let's be there to support them. And, yes. and, he, and he was willing to do that. And um, so it was, and, and, and there were, there were members of that ward who really were able to build a relationship with him that was completely outside of church. Yeah. You know, that uh, I, I'm thinking in particular of a younger couple. Um, uh, he's in financial services. She's a, a therapist. And, and they added just adorable kids and, and somehow we really connected with them. But, but she especially was able to break the barrier with my partner that, that she just really valued him as an individual and was fascinated and delighted with his friendship and, yes. and frankly had nothing to do with church. Right. And so there were those, I was always grateful for people who would um, see that, see in him what I saw in him. Right, you know, right, and uh, and make the effort to just uh, to be sure he knew that he was valued and loved and accepted. Yes, and for who he was. So then, how did you make the very difficult decision to end the relationship? I, um, in a sense, I don't think I did. <laughs> in that, you know, for seven years, I, I say I called myself the most active non-member of the New Canaan Ward. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> and I had always assumed that that's the way it was going to go, you know, that yeah. I would just keep going to church as a, as someone who was not a member, but was yep. desirous of uh, participating in every way I could. Yeah. And, um, and, and was welcomed in that, in that light. But at a certain point I started to feel, uh, and it's interesting in relation to my new calling in the new ward. I really felt like uh, there was something about the temple that I wanted to be able to have in my life. And it's that, for me, it's that sense that in the family of heaven, we all have a place. Yes. And so the proclamation on the family, you know, I always say I can see my parents in that. And I'm so filled with love and gratitude for how that describes their lives. But I don't see myself in it. But in the family of heaven, I see myself and I know that I have a place. And so I had, I had this desire to just do what I could to bind, to link the family of heaven. And, uh, and that still is something that's really deeply meaningful to me, to, to the gratitude I feel that the Lord would allow some 
just some guy, you know, to, uh, to do something that could, could be meaningful to uh, other people forever. Well, his son, that yeah, he, that he that. would want his son <laughs> and all of us that he does. And I think that's the biggest thing that I, I love how you put that though, that, that all of us need to learn is that we are all needed and loved and known by our father in heaven. And we aren't just some person. We are a daughter or son. And I know you know that, but it's sometimes it does feel like, who am I to do this? And who am I? And who cares really? And does it right. really matter? And there's billions of us. Right. And that's what is also so beautiful about the gospel is the truth that he does know and love us individually yeah. and cares about our life's purpose and plan. And they're all different from one another. You can reach people in a way that me as a heterosexual married woman can't. There are doors that will be that are open for you that that are are different than doors that are open for me for both right. of us to teach the gospel and be examples of the Savior's love. Right. And when when do you feel like you found that for you? Like, okay, I I now am comfortable and confident in who I am and in Heavenly Father's plan and purpose for me. Or are you still finding that out? Yeah, you know, there have been moments in my life where the the only thing that I could do was to drop to my knees and say, do you know that I'm here? You know, and, and the answers that have come and, and frankly, that when we call the Holy spirit, the comforter, the, the literal reality of that, those moments have are the anchor of my life. And so I do know in a very personal way that, that uh, my heavenly parents and savior know who I am and that their, their love for me is unqualified uh, but it's always uh, my opportunity to turn to them yes, uh, uh, in order to be able to feel it and to, more importantly, honestly, to be a conduit of that love to others. Yes. And, and so, you know, I just, I feel like there are, there have been those moments where, uh, you know, I just know that, that I'm known. Yes. <laughs> and, you know, I can hang on to those as I continue to, to try to move forward, stumbling blindly sometimes to try and figure out. But I, I also would say in my life, I sort of in looking backwards, I can see the path that was created. But yeah. on a day to day basis, that was never obvious. And right. And still isn't right. You know, I, when we were publishing the first book, which that we maybe want a gay Mormon's perspective on faith and family, which tells you that it was published before President Nelson asked us to stop using Mormon. But yes, <laughs> so a Latter Day Saints perspective on yes, faith. yes. Sherry Dew and I were having a conversation as it was going to their advisory board, and she said, "Okay, you know, this is your last chance to uh, pull it back. You know, if you don't want to go through all this, you are." And, and in a sense, she was kind of saying, "Are you prepared for?" Yes, yes. Yeah. And and I said, "You know, I I feel very comfortable." about how my community will respond to this, which is that, you know, the, the, the people who are willing to hear my story and the, and the sense in which it's presented, which is, look, here is one person's experience. Yes. This is not meant to be a template for anyone else. Right. This is simply, a, you know, I'm sharing it in the sense of here's how one family and one ward family engaged with um, an LGBTQ member in their, in their midst. Yes. Um, that can spur ideas for others or can be a, a helpful at least way to understand some uh, ways this could occur. So, yep. but it's not the answer for anybody than, than me. Right. Those who would who'd be willing to listen to that or read it in that sense would be accepting of 
even though their lives might look very different, but would grant me the grace to say that, yeah, this is your expression of what your life has, has come to mean to you. And, and I, the same, you know, I really, I always want to be sure that my LGBTQ brothers and sisters understand that, that I uh, am grateful to be a member of two tribes <laughs> that I right. love them. I love my LDS tribe and, and always want each to see the best of the other. When Sherry and I had this conversation, I, I just said, you know, the only hesitancy I have is that I don't feel like my story's on. Like I haven't, I, I don't want this to appear that it's in cement, right? I've got all right. the answers here. Got it all are, figured and, out. Yeah. We're done. And, uh, and I'm not, I'm just, I'm still trying to figure it out. And she said, well, then you, then you write a second book. And I said, yeah, I don't know about that. And you did. <laughs> I did write a second <laughs> book, but it has nothing to do with the first book. Right, right. That's different. <laughs> yeah. So you you talk about relying so much on your on your heavenly parents and your earthly parents for for love and support and acceptance and purpose. We have to talk about your brother, Elder Christofferson. Was he a, a a great support to you? Did you rely heavily when you began your transition back, especially on his insights and perspective? I'm sure, and you still do, and did get lots of comments on having an apostle brother and you're gay and what does he think about that and what was his response and and what was his support like of your journey right so and i think that's an important point to start which is that um you know our the the bands of brotherhood uh, didn't begin when i decided to come back to church you know, that, right that uh, with elder christopherson each of my brothers you know in our journeys together we came to places where we could really be fully invested in each other's happiness and yes and engaged in the reality of each other's lives not the not a picture that we wanted it to be you know right and yeah. uh, and i always felt when i had nothing the years when i had nothing to do with the church and and i, I always looked at elder christopherson as um, as my idea of someone who really is the kind of a christian that uh, i certainly aspired to be and, and i think we all could aspire to be which is one who is very focused on doing the very best he can to follow the light he has in his life. At the same time, being incredibly loving and accepting of other people wherever they are in their lives. And so living with integrity, um, his own life. Yes. While also being loving and inclusive in his engagement with people who are not doing the same things he's doing. Yes. And I, I hope I, I love that about him, that he is a person of such deep faith and deep integrity. And both of those things cause him to uh, to be lovingly engaged with other people, not in a judgmental way, right. but simply in a, in a supportive and inclusive way. Did you ever rely on his testimony of of this church and the Savior. If I had a brother that was an apostle, it seems like I would say, okay, tell me for real. <laughs> tell me everything you know, which of course, you know, it's so sacred and special and they wouldn't. But as a special witness of the Savior, Jesus Christ, have you had discussions with him about his role as an apostle and, and his testimony? And has that helped you in your faith journey? So let me come at that two different ways. One is that when I started to go back to church, um, he was in the presidency of the 70. And with with all due regard for who's actually doing the work in the church, yes. 
generally members are not that aware of who's who's in the 70s. Yes. <laughs> and so I I felt like when I was welcomed to that ward, I was welcomed for me, not as Elder Christofferson's brother. Yes. And that mattered to me. It really, it really, I don't know, it's still important to me to feel like um, you know, the the I saw uh the real people. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yes. Because because there was no other agenda. They weren't yes. either trying to know me because of my brother or, or anything else, right? Yes. But it was simply here is a person with a different life experience who's coming to our congregation and asks to be included. And yes. and we want to include him. So then he was called to the twelve a few months later and and then everybody does know the name. And um so that <laughs> And every ward I've been in since then, I uh, unfortunately don't get to have the same. Yeah, I, mean, I, I, I know they love me, and I and I'm deeply appreciative. But yes, we kind of also have a sense that there are folks who are intrigued by your relatives. For sure, uh, yeah. But the other the other way I want to come at that is, my brothers and I generally try to do at least one trip a year that's just the five of us. We used to go to the LA Auto Show because it was the first weekend in January, and somehow that all of us could get away and. And, and we just had such fun being together. And then they changed their dates. And long story short, over time, we now look at his schedule every six months and say, hey, where's he going that we want to go? Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> so when it works out, we try to um, you know, arrive somewhere on Thursday evening, have dinner together. Uh, and then Friday is our day to just sort of be as brothers go on an adventure somewhere in that area. How fun. And so and the best part of it, of course, is, you know, being in the car when we can just chat. Yes. And uh, and so that's that's of course when we ask him lots of questions that he'd prefer we didn't and I'm sure <laughs> and I we, would do the same. Yep, I would do the same thing. And, and, and give him the benefit of our inspired counsel. Yes. And, uh, Tell us when Jesus is coming. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's more like uh, yeah, when when do we get back to the conference? Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> but um but it's all it's it's really our time to laugh and reminisce and tease each other and just do the things that that brothers who love each other do. And so those days are precious. And then Friday yes. evening, um, usually whoever is accompanying him on that assignment will arrive and he may need to have dinner with them or we'll have dinner and then he'll go see them after. And then Saturday and Sunday, the the public sessions that, that he's involved in, we are able to attend. And that, and I must say, I'm, I'm always amazed at the graciousness of the saints who are just so kind to this gaggle of brothers who are tagging yes. along behind him. But it's the juxtaposition of those days is meaningful to me, which is the the fun we have together with our brothers yes. on, on Friday. And then to feel that we sit at the feet of an apostle on Saturday and Sunday and really to be able. So when you say, have I relied on his testimony? Uh, I would say in the way I rely on any prophet and apostle's testimony, but my own uh, certainty in Christ is developed through the experiences of my life. And I, and I am so grateful to feel and hear his witness of the savior in those settings and, and to uh, grateful that it, that it, um, agrees with mine or is in line with mine that, yes. that I also feel that same certainty. How fun. That is such a, an incredible, thing that you get to do and that, and that you are still so close with your family and with your brothers. That is my dearest wish for my boys uh, that, is that they will remain close throughout their life. And it's, I'm sure you're the same with your brothers, but I have some that's like oil and water. Yeah. They just don't mix yet. And it's 
constant contention and who's the alpha and it's it's hard sometimes and I think oh I just pray that they will be friends so what advice do you have for moms like me or families with all boys or or you know different boys and girls to have that strong family connection what advice would you give to say here's a, a way or, that you can keep sibling relationships strong because they are the relationships that go on for eternity yeah. and that and that are most important in this life I, you know I, I'm not sure I know the um, a quick easy answer to that but I think the one sense I have is that to to be aware of each other's interests and then make an effort to be involved in something that's of interest to your sibling. And obviously that works a little better as an adult than it probably did when we were growing up. But I also feel like the finding ways that the family can be united. So doing something that everybody enjoys together. And so setting that habit, I guess, of, of um, enjoyment of, of being together. I remember before my, before my parents died, one, one evening we were all in town and I don't remember what the situation was, but we were sitting in our parents' family room and, and telling old stories and laughing. And, and, uh, and at a certain point, mom said, I think this might be the happiest day of my life to hear my, to hear my boys laugh together. <clears throat> and, um, so I, you know, that, uh, we certainly knew what they valued as well. That, that makes me emotional. That's so sweet and tender that you have that experience with them. And it, I would say that's true as a parent myself, that nothing brings me greater joy than my family getting along and, and showing that love for each other. So my last question for you, Tom, is what? how can we, as members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, better show support and love to our LGBTQ members in the community, in our families, right. um, in, in the neighborhoods around us, how can we reach out if it, if it feels uncomfortable, if it feels like it goes against our values? How do we, like you said, hold both truths? We right. love each other as brothers and sisters, and we belong to this church. How can we better do that? You know, I, I recently came across a, an article in the Ensign from 1972, but um, then elder Hubie Brown, so he had been in the First Presidency, was now serving in the, in the Quorum of the Twelfth, um, wrote a, a kind of a biography of President Eldon N. Eldon Tanner, who was then called to be in the First Presidency. And it, you know, you see those sometimes in the ensign, right? As yes, the new yes. comes out, whatever. But, but one of the things that Elder Brown uh, related and experiencedly related about President Tanner was that when President Tanner was a, was a young man, uh, he taught school, and he had just been married, um, was teaching high school in this in at Cardston, at actually a small town outside of Cardston, Alberta. Uh, in order to make ends meet, and this was during the Depression, he also had this general store that he owned and operated, uh, and he'd been called as a counselor in the bishopric and as the advisor to the deacons quorum. So as as uh, Elder Brown lays out the story, uh, President Tanner realizes that half the quorum doesn't attend church. So he goes to visit each of these boys and discovers that uh, the they don't have any clothes to wear to church that they feel comfortable in. So they, you know, it's a farming community. They have their overalls, right? And that's, yeah. that's all they've got. And, um, 
and I and I like I stopped the story there in my own mind to say, okay, he owns a general store, you know, certainly he could give me each a shirt to wear, right? Yeah. And, and um, but that's not what he did. He said to these boys, "That's okay. I'll wear my coveralls on Sunday too. So come, and we'll all we'll all be the same." And and I I love that because it sort of says. Our goal is not to make us feel comfortable with you. Our goal is to create a space where you will feel comfortable so we can know you. And I, I think yeah. that's what we need to keep in mind in all this is we're, we're not asking people to be someone else in order to come and worship with us. Yes. We're asking people to let us know them yes. so that we can worship together. I love that perspective. Can you tell me what, Enzyme, was that the recent one? I think it was October of 1972, and I'll have to dig it up, but I, I might have it. Uh, okay, because that would be an amazing article to read. I love that perspective of letting others feel comfortable with us. It, okay, it was November 1972. Okay. By Elder Hubie Brown called President and Eldon Tanner a man of integrity. A man of integrity. Okay, yeah. I'm going to look that up. Yeah. I love that perspective so much of just creating an environment where people feel safe to be who they are. And, and it goes back to what we talked about at the beginning of the episode is just feeling Christ's love through each right. other. And when we can feel his love for us and for each other, then really we don't even have to worry about how can I love this person? Yeah. Because Jesus Christ, it's his love that makes up for all that. We don't need to even worry about that anymore. You know, and sometimes we, you get that question about, um, if I'm accepting and loving, does that mean I condone right. know, other, the actions of others? And I, I really come to feel the way we avoid condoning is by how we live our lives, not by how we tell other people to live theirs. So it, it really is, am I doing the very best I can each day to draw closer to the savior, to constantly turn to him and yes. be healed of the wounds that I have. Yes, and, and therefore to to be able to be a purer transmitter of his love to other people. Yes, um, and so you know it's it's just it's for almost all of us. It's not our need to judge anyone else. It's really our need to help them feel the Savior's love, so they can draw closer to Him too. Yes, I am so grateful for all of your perspectives that you've shared today for coming on this podcast and for all of the good you are doing. And so oh remind God. us again, both of your books, the titles and where people can find them <laughs> oh, to dear. learn even more about your incredible life and insights. Well, yeah. <laughs> uh, the, the, the first book was That We May Be One, A Gay Mormon's Perspective on Faith and Family. Perfect. And again, I hope people approach that as, you know, this isn't Tom's biography. This is it's a way to see how one family yes. united in a circumstance they hadn't expected, right? Yes. And how a ward could come together uh, to embrace and love someone who, you know, I said for seven years, I was walking through those chapel doors every Sunday. Um, and as people came to know me, they certainly would have rightly concluded I wasn't living all the commandments, right? But it was never a feeling of, well, why are you here? Or you shouldn't be here. The feeling I always had was their delight that I would choose to be here. Yes. So anyway, so there. Uh, I, I hope you, that anybody who decides they want to read that would approach it that way. That it's just these are just two experiences that might be useful uh, as people think for themselves. 
Absolutely. And seek their own inspiration about how they can um, more broadly em embrace others. Yes. And then the other one is um, a better heart, the impact of Christ's pure love. And that really resulted from my uh, conversation with my brothers on one of these trips. Uh, we were talking about spiritual gifts and, um, and one of my brothers said, you know, the, the Lord invites us all to ask for the gift of charity of his pure love. And, and think about all the scriptures and, and you know, I've tried to recap a lot of them in that book, but they talk about essentially charity as the penultimate and essential quality for one who desires to be a disciple and to dwell with yes. the savior. So if we, you know, I think about faith, open charity, right? The, the beginning is desire, a desire to yes. believe as we desire, we do find the experiences that help us to find reasons for our faith, right? And, and to grow faith. As we have those experiences, then we gain hope in Christ. Yes. Right? We have this hope that we can uh, draw closer to him and eventually to be with him. And then finally, that, that sense of his love for us, our hope in him, allows us then to become a conduit of his love or to be filled with, with charity, his pure love. And so I, the, that book is really an attempt to explore how and why do we love the Savior? How yeah. and why does he love us? And as we are filled with the, or we seek the gift of charity, what does that mean in our lives? And so it's, um, I think as much as anything else, it's my own exploration of trying to understand those things better and just to invite others to join me on that journey. How beautiful. I'm excited to read both of those books. And I have a, a, I love any topic to do with charity. It talks about charity a lot in my patriarchal blessing. So I always love learning more about it. I got my patriarchal blessing when I was 14 and didn't really understand exactly. And now that I'm older, charity has, especially being a mom and with children has, it, it changes. And it, yeah. it really is just about, I think, becoming like our savior, who's the perfect example of, of charity. And yeah. Tom, I think that you are a wonderful example of that as well. I can imagine that people love having you in their ward and neighborhood because of the love and acceptance they feel from you too. It goes both ways that, that, that you are just very loving and accepting and wanting to just spread light and goodness wherever you go. So thank you so much for sharing a little bit about your life story with us today on doing good and, and for all the good that you are doing. Oh, I, I hope you're right. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Tom. Okay. It's been fun. Thanks so much for your time. Thanks for listening to this episode of Doing Good with Carmen Herbert, available exclusively inside Our Turtle House. At Our Turtle House, there's something for the whole family. From full-leg talks that you can't get anywhere else from some of your favorite speakers, to fun family home evening lesson plans that follow the Come Follow Me curriculum. There's even short daily devotionals made specifically for your teens. Plus, you can get two months free when you sign up for an annual plan. Just go to OurTurtleHouse.com to get started. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you back here for another episode of Doing Good next week.